Good evening, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. I'm your host, Bryant Ott, known as Creighton Otter at whiteandbluereview.com. And with me tonight, Matt DeMarinas, Joey Tempo. We've got a loaded show tonight. We're going to go 30 minutes at the top, uh, kind of covering everything that's happened here in the first week or two of the 2017-2018 Creighton Blue Jays athletic calendar. Lots going on. Um, and then we're going to have an interview that uh, that um, our own Matt D was able to pull off today that he'll kind of give us a little intro of a little, a little different look at the men's basketball program. So without further ado, Matt, Joey, welcome back to the show. A lot to talk about tonight. Thanks for coming. Um, hope you guys are doing well. Yeah. Joey, I think on. Joey, I think Let you're a little. Let's Joe... something good if you have us back on. Right. Yeah. Hold on. One, hold on one second, guys. I'm buying my uh, volleyball tickets for Saturday as we speak. So. Oh. Okay. <laughs> there's Very about good. eight. Looks like Ticketmaster. There's about eighty left. So if you're listening to this podcast, there's more than likely just ten left. So I, I would hop on Ticketmaster, buy your tickets to the uh, Jays Kentucky on Friday, Jays USC on Saturday. Should be a good time. Okay. So that's a great. Uh, that's a great segue for Matt DeMarinas to bring us all up to speed on Coach Kirsten Berthal-Booth's Creighton Blue Jays volleyball program moving up again in the rankings because of an amazing three-win start to the first weekend of the season. Matt, um, just how did the Blue Jays look out there um, from your perspective, from the coaching staff's perspective, out in Seattle where they punctuated a three-win weekend with uh, defeating the top five uh, ranked at that point, Washington Huskies? Well, you're, first of all, you're supposed to refer to them as Creighton's best chance to win a national title. <laughs> there, you go. Bryant, so. there you go. There I think, you go. I think, I think if, if anyone was putting a statement on anything this weekend, I'm pretty sure I had a statement win this weekend. Based That's on fair. Our, that is that's fair. Our past discussions, fair. right? Right. That's very fair. I mean, I think they won more sets very than Crane scored goals. I'm just saying, like, let's just, you know, we'll just be honest right now. Right. I mean, after um, after the, no, I mean, after I thought, the first weekend, Creighton soccer, men's soccer might not be the best men's soccer program in the city at this point. I know that hurts. Yeah, Joey, and that's could... just more of a little barb at what happened. Um, you know, the the latter got, half of the weekend. That's... Again, that's fair. UNO, um, they they can they can uh, they 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 can lay claim to the soccer title in August. Okay. What matters is, is in November, December. That so works. we'll see how <laughs> that works. All right, that'll be our next segment. Yeah. As for uh, go for as for as for the, the the team of the hour volleyball right now. Yeah, you know it's it's going to be Jay. I really don't have any great analysis because the fact of the matter is. One of the things Kirsten Bernthal Booth always talks about as far as keys to a match, the first thing she'll always tell you is serve and pass. And Creighton did that better each match they played out there, which was interesting because usually when you see, you know, you're talking about a short time span. They played Friday night afternoon-ish, like around 4 or 5. And then they played in the morning, Saturday morning, and then they played Saturday night. So there wasn't like a lot of time to – you know, dissect your your flaws and move on. You really had to prepare for the next match, one after the other. So it was it was it was interesting to see how much they actually improved from match to match, with culminating with the best performance of the weekend being against the number three team in the nation. Um, you know, I think St. Mary's was one of those matches where they got to a really hot start. They obviously rolled, dominated the first set, which is something that 
<laughs> which is something, believe it or not, that uh, Coach Booth actually hates because she feels like when you, more times than not, when you dominate the first set, you kind of drop into a little lull and the next, the rest of the match is either competitive or not in your favor at all for some reason. So that's actually kind of how it played out. St. Mary's was pretty competitive the rest of the match. Um, but Creighton did finish that in, in three sets. Same thing with Pitt. And then Washington was... It's, watching that, watching this Creighton team, and because they're so experienced, because they bring so many players back from last year, it's I, I think it's pretty easy to get a good feel on if they're going to perform or not. Um, just based on little intricacies of the game uh, to see how they're doing in those areas. And it, it, the Washington match felt similar to the Kansas match in the NCAA tournaments. It felt similar to the Michigan match. The, you know, the ones that – it felt like Creighton was on their game. And despite the fact that Washington was playing well as also, it, it felt like Creighton was kind of in control of the whole thing. They served and passed really well. And the key to passing really well is it helps their offense, which is very diverse. They have, you know, a lot of, you know, with Taryn Cloth and Jaylee Winters on the pins um, and Marissa Wilkinson being just absolutely dominant in the middle. And Megan Ballinger, you talk about four, four hitters that can put down, you know, 10-plus kills a match easy. It could be any one of their nights on any given night, and they all kind of had it rolling this weekend. But when they're serving and passing well, it means Lydia Dimke doesn't have to kind of chase after after balls to get them set, you know. She's kind of – they're always serving to the front row, passing to the front row, and she can kind of just, just distribute the – you know, distribute the ball based on where she sees the block lining up. It just makes it everything easier for her to read. It makes the tempo easier for her to speed up and get other teams defensively reacting – um, and that's basically how it was. They did really well in the first set, especially late. The second set, they dominated. Third set coming out of the locker room, Washington obviously wasn't going to go down. You know, they weren't going to let themselves get swept on their home floor. Sure. So that was kind of a big response for Washington. They got to a big lead. And what Creighton did in that third set was they didn't really kind of they, – they conceded it, but they didn't concede the match in it. You know, they kind of regrouped with the idea that we need to get some momentum going for the fourth set because the third set's kind of lost already. And that's what they did. The last, I think, 13 or 14 points were all back and forth and ended up in Creighton's favor, I think, 7-6 to six to end the set, really, after being down double double digits. And the fourth set played out exactly the same way, and Creighton was able to kind of snatch the momentum back and finish that out end game very well because Washington had a 22-20 lead, and usually for a home team, especially mm-hmm. for an elite team like Washington, that's the lead they put away. Creighton got a side out, then they got a big uh, stuff blocked by Marissa Wilkinson, who was the MVP of that tournament, rightfully so. And then, yeah, Creighton just, I think they I think they got a kill from Taryn Cloth, and then Washington uh, finished the match serving long and, you know, it shocked the nation, but I don't think it shocked Creighton. I think they, they, they went in there in a hostile environment, a place that's not easy to win historically, and because of the experience that this group has had together, they felt like they could win, and they did. Well, it certainly didn't seem to um, surprise many of the voters. I, I noticed, and I, I'm going to mess up the exact number of spots that the Huskies fell in the poll, but it wasn't a dramatic um, – 
drop in the rankings too much. I mean, I feel like they're still no, in I the think top they, ten. I think right? they fell to nine. Yeah, actually. so they're still in the top. Yeah, 10. they went from three. They went from three to nine, I believe. But we know it's not a surprise. Like you, you tweeted right after the match wasn't an upset at all, um, necessarily mm-hmm. not a shock. But when you hear all season, or I'm sorry, all off season, how good your team is going to be. And then you know you're going out to Seattle that first weekend, and you know you've got a match against a top five team. What's this do for the, for for Coach Boost's program? All the kids when they go out there, they put up, right? They do their job, and now they're coming back home. They've got a big notch on their belt already. Um, you know, how does that make the the team feel confidence wise? What's it you know reinforce for them? Are they on track with where they thought they would be? Um, you know, does the hype, obviously Joey's out there buying volleyball tickets at nine o'clock on a Wednesday right. night. And you know, <laughs> the hype, the hype train's just going to keep going here, but what's this do for coach Booth's players, her staff? I mean, I don't think she's wavering any which way, but I mean, you know, they're college kids. So what's this yeah. look like when you talk to them and, and when you're watching them practice? Not to just dismiss everything you kind of laid out there, but they don't do. seem any. It wouldn't. It wouldn't they don't. Be, they don't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be the first time that's happened all day. So I know they just don't seem any. They don't seem any different. I've been to, you know, I've been to two of their three. I think practices they've had so far. We've done, you know, a couple media availabilities. Uh, I think we met them in the airport. We met them at a practice yesterday. I talked to Kirsten in her office. You know, just uh, a couple days ago. They don't seem different. They seem like that's just what what they expected to happen out there. So I know it seems like I mean that was the answer I was the, hoping for, the right? I mean, that's that's what we're hoping to hear, it's, right? It, this is just another game. You just move on. Right. Like they're listen, she's very committed to the process. And you'll hear her say that a lot throughout the season and one match at a time and things like that. They don't look too far ahead. It's what it's what's gotten to this point. And honestly, they expected to beat Washington. They didn't. They didn't like think it was a foregone conclusion. They obviously had to play well, and they did. But they didn't come back here feeling like trying to compare it to something. I think you know. You know what would be a shocking one is I think Creighton's win over Villanova in men's basketball a couple years ago. Sure. Probably you know probably one that Creighton thought they could beat Villanova, but the way they did it, that kind of shocked everybody. And I think that even shocked themselves. So, but this one, it doesn't. It didn't shock anybody. Creighton. I mean. Kansas was the fourth-ranked team in the nation when the Blue Jays beat them in Lawrence last year. Mm. I mean, that was a terrible draw. Creighton had no business playing Kansas in the second round of an NCAA tournament based on how good both teams were. And they had to go five sets down there in a very hostile environment. Trust me, that was not a, like, a rah-rah, go KU crowd. That was like a boo, Blue Jays, like, you know, go KU crowd. It was like, it was it was hostile. They had to get through it. And they did, and I think it only made them better, and it prepared them for what they went through on Saturday. And it's going to prepare them for what they're about to go through this Saturday because there are nerves involved with playing in front of your home fans, and this team has experienced that. They've lost matches at home that senior days and things like that. I think a couple years ago after they wrapped up a Big East title, they turned around and got swept by Seton Hall in their their home finale. So, I mean, like, the home crowd has – disadvantages too and with it being probably sold out here we'll find out in a day or two depends on how many tickets um, joey buys right now <laughs> right yeah we'll see if you can buy them all up and, I'm a, I'm uh, a scalp them. 
Just hanging on Florence Boulevard. Like, yeah. I think, yeah, I just, I think it's going to be interesting this weekend. Someone asked me what, what you would consider a successful weekend this weekend. And honestly, I said one and two. And I know that, <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but when you think about one and two, think about what they're playing. First of all, Kentucky is ranked 13th. USC is ranked 18th. Northern Iowa is currently 31 receiving votes, right? Mm-hmm. All three are undefeated. All three beat top 25 teams last weekend. So you're, so what does one and two mean? One and two means they beat a top 30 team and, what, maybe lost to two top 20 teams? None of those are bad for your RPI or bad for your resume. They could come out of this weekend one and two and still be uh, a big-time favorite favorite to be a top 16 host like a honestly but Matt they won't be happy with one and two but that's what they could come out being because that's how much that's how strong this schedule is and that's how it honestly has flipped the margin for error because now they can winning winning at Washington they can drop a few and not it won't be the end of the world yeah but they, they have want, other opportunities they, they're gonna want to host deep into the tournament right I mean that they this is their year they want to make this run they've they've got to take care of business at home whether that's big East or, or non-con season. I think that they target this as something they need to win to put a statement to the rest of the country that says, hey, we're we're literally not playing around. We're going to take this as deep as we can. Look what we do at home. You guys do not want to come to Sokol Arena to play in the NCAA tournament. This has got to be another statement piece for them. That, and that'll, that'll give them a little more leverage the next couple games after that to, you know, fumble up or, or what have you. But I, I think they got to do better than one and two if they realistically want to win a national title or make the final four. They got to take care of business at home. They can't go one and two at home if, they, if, that, if those are their goals. No, I understand that. And the reason I'm just my the only pushback I have on that is they were they were on the doorstep of the final four last year, and they yeah, didn't do to win it. They didn't, and they didn't do anything in the non conference. They literally didn't win any of the matches they needed to win. They came out five hundred. Losing all the quality matches they needed for their resume, and they still made it to the Elite Eight. So, like, but, but, but that's anyway. why I just pushed back a little bit because the group is all about the process. Like, they just want to build a strong resume one match at a time, roll through the Big East, which I don't think, I don't think it got, you know, just based on who knows, but based on the offseason that I was paying attention to, I don't think the gap shortened. I think the gap got bigger. So, there might be a few Big East teams that are you know, beating each other up, but I don't think any of them are catching Creighton. My point so, is, my point is they're, they're, they are seasoned. I get you. And you talked about it in the first podcast that, you know, Wilkinson had a, the tournament of her life. You said it yourself. They went down to some hostile environments and they don't want to deal with that again. Why, why would they want to deal with that again? If they have the chance to, to, to make statements at home that can really solidify them as a, a you know, a top eight or somebody that's going to host until the final four, they've got to make a, a serious run at that. So they don't have those, so they, they, they just afford themselves that not that uh, those kind of travel and environments. And, you know, you never know what happens if Texas comes to Sokol versus Creighton going to Texas. So, yeah, it's like, you bet, you bet, well, don't try on. to find those tickets on Ticketmaster, Joey. They don't exist. No, no, no. My, my, my point is, if, if, if Texas is coming to Sokol to get into the Final Four, you want to play that game yeah. at home. And, and realistically, if, if, if that's a Bertha Booth is. You know, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe she is targeting more of a process type thing. Build their confidence up. Maybe we can go on the road and win. You know, then that's fine. But you know, if she, I, I would imagine she's saying we need to get as many games at home and limit the travel and make teams come into our environment where somebody like me, who's not necessarily coming to many volleyball games, is buying ton, tons of tickets, yelling my head off. You know, and and get being that 
boo Texas, yay Creighton crowd, you know? First of all, I mean, they, she doesn't talk about the Final Four. Like, that's what I mean by the process is, is right now she's focused on Kentucky. After that, it'll be USC. After that, it'll be Northern. Like, that's what I mean by one step at a time. And honestly, it's like – it's psychotically true because you'll try to get her to talk about, you know, upcoming matches and things like that. Nebraska week was pretty much hell on local media because they would come up to her and they, as they were about to play Nebraska in like a three-team tournament. Nebraska's the third team in it. And she wants to talk about Gonzaga and Montana State. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm talking about. I don't mean to like put words in her mouth. Obviously, they want to go to the Final Four. Obviously, they want to host – in front of their home fans throughout the whole thing. But that's not their main area of concern right now. Uh, right now, they're just trying to get – right now, they're right now what they're focused on is preparing for Kentucky. That's their Final Four right now. And when at the end of the year, when everything falls into place, she believes and the team believes because they follow this mantra and they have for years that if they follow the process, the one step at a time, to get better each and every day – and just follow that and be obsessed by it, that will get them to where they want to be eventually. So, And it's hard to argue with the results so far when you look at the trajectory they're currently on. So I'm not going to question it anymore because I've tried to over the years. I've tried to get them to talk about you know upcoming matches or things like that or big picture, and it just doesn't happen. Um, and then the results have spoken for themselves. With the Sweet 16 two years ago, the Elite Eight last year, I mean, I'm just going to let them keep doing their thing and reporting as it I'll report day by day like they play matches day by day. Day by day. I like it. Uh, let's <laughs> so what, let's get some music karaoke going. Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, so you did a really great like uh, daytime Emmy Award winning segue from last weekend to this upcoming weekend. But set set the stage for everybody. Joey's out buying tickets um, right now as we speak. But it's the Blue Jay Invitational. And Friday night, the Blue Jays will host number 13, Kentucky, at 7 p.m. Saturday, they'll host number 18, USC, at 12.30 in the afternoon. And then the nightcap for the Blue Jays on Saturday night is old rival and also um, receiving votes in the polls, Northern Iowa Panthers. Those other teams will play each other as well in the afternoons on um, and morning Friday and Saturday as well. So lots of action at the Blue Jay Invitational come down. Check out the Jays, their first home matches of the season. Um, and really, I think it's their only non-conference home matches before they get ready to start Big East yep. play later in the month. So, um, you know, really good schedule again for Coach Booth. They've already started 3-0, and and we'll see what this weekend holds. So, um, want to make sure that we're still staying tight on the time here and maybe segue into a team that didn't have as good a start to the season as many of us would have liked. That's Elmar Bolowich's men's soccer team. Joey, uh, you know, they lose 2 to nothing to Virginia Tech on Friday night, and then it takes them a couple, extra, uh, a couple sets of extra time to put away Grand Canyon on Sunday. You both, um, I'd love to know your thoughts about what you saw, what you didn't see, what you were hoping to see, what you missed and kind of where Bolovich's crew goes from here, knowing they've got a brutal trip out west this weekend. I didn't see goals. That's mine. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> you saw a lot of shots. A lot of shots. A not very shots. accurate ones. Not sure. very accurate ones either. Yeah, there, were a lot, there were a lot of souvenirs for the fans in attendance. I'll tell you that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to a lot of the soccer team uh, in a meeting, uh, one of the booster meetings before um, before the season, and and I, I, you know, I've been talking to the teams, the, the soccer team, for a number of years, and I don't think I've ever seen uh, a staff, a coaching staff, more relaxed, um, players more confident in their abilities, and so watching the display against Virginia Tech, who's a who's an excellent team, unlike uh, yeah. what you uh, yeah. trounced them, but Virginia Tech. Has has professional players on their team, and they were well they were well organized. Uh, they played to Creighton's weaknesses, and um, and and Creighton really fell into a trap. I thought over the first half an hour, Creighton looked great. The ball was moving around the field. Players were, were moving into space. It looked it looked exactly like what players had told me was going on in practice. And there was lots of uh you know good movement from from the forwards, and lots of opportunities for other players to get forward and create shots. And I was seeing a lot of that in the first half an hour. Uh, but, but then, um, you know, the tide started to turn. Virginia Tech started to get a little bit more of the ball, get a little more confident, and then got that goal. And, and, and that kind of swung the whole game. And Creighton really, um, you know, figuratively put its head down. And then, and then really were forcing the issue and, and playing, uh, you know, definitely a step slow following the goal. And uh, what's disappointing about um, that, that first half was that, uh, it, it just didn't seem like the de- the defense, uh, which you know we talked about a lot uh, on the first podcast previewing the season. Um, it didn't seem like it was very well settled, and like they knew their roles or they they weren't communicating well. And uh, well, you know, one of the questions, and I told you last podcast, I, I I've learned not to question Bolovich about his selections, but I mean to remove a guy like Peter Prescott, who had been starting and really a a, a vocal leader for the team almost for the last year and a half. Um, for the soccer program to remove him from the center defense, um, a, a superior athlete in the air just seemed, seemed a little bit odd to me for a, um, for a move first game of the season against a team who liked to play in the air and to put in Julius four, who is maybe not as strong in the air seemed like a questionable decision. And then what does Virginia tech do? Uh, chip a ball in off a free kick and just loop it over Kluver's head. And he, he came out with really no chance to get it. Um, and then, you know, from then Creighton's playing, uh, you know, you know, forcing issues and not playing free fluid soccer like Bolovich wanted. And I just thought that really turned not only that game, but then the next game uh, against Grand Canyon, they just looked frustrated and, and almost like they, they felt like they were never going to score. Anything they would do would come just close enough, but not get it in. And, and um, that didn't, that did not uh, look like the team on the field of the players who I were talking, was talking to before the season, a bunch of confident guys that thought, um, you know, they really had something special this year. And, and I've, I mean, we've all watched Creighton soccer over the last couple of years be dominant in August and dominant in September and even early October, you know, reach top five, top in the polls, and then peak too early. And so this year I'm wondering if, um, and I haven't talked to many of the players or the coaches since the weekend, but I'm wondering if, um, like you were talking about with Coach Bernthal, Booth, that they're, in, they're, they're going through the process and they, they want to see different players in different positions. Because against Grand Canyon, there was a lot of extra pieces to the to the to the puzzle, getting getting valuable minutes and in, in, in good in good spots, and so um, that was positive to see. I would have liked Creighton to put away some of their chances to give us more of a, a comfort level <laughs> going into this weekend uh, in California. But it's good to see guys like Daniel Rebos and um, and Noah Frankie play different positions. Bryce Gibson get in four, uh, and some of the new guys like Polat and Koenig get 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 minutes because. Going into the year, um, we need those guys to contribute. And if they're not getting meaningful games at the beginning of the year, 
Um, it really makes it tough for them to catch up to speed in October, November. So if anything good came out of this weekend, I would say that there was, you know, a lot of building and growth from some players who didn't even look that sharp, but just the fact that they were getting in and getting their feet wet was positive. Um, and I would say um, going into the game against Stanford on Friday um, in Palo Alto, um, you're probably going to see a lineup very similar to Virginia Tech. My guess is that Prescott will be slotted into the center of defense. Um, but other than that, I think you get the same starting lineup you did against Virginia Tech. And hopefully they can get one on the road because going one and one at home uh, it really puts Creighton in a position where they're going to have to win one in California. Uh, obviously, Stanford would be great. They're the number one team in the nation. And Cal's coming off a loss at home to Virginia Tech or to West Virginia. Um, and that might be the easier game on Sunday. And uh, California's got a game against Northeastern on Friday. So, you, you know, the Jays like their chances in that game. But um, they're going to have to get one in California. So they're going to come back one and three with a game against South Florida. And then Big East play begins. And so they, they really got to really do work um, and at least get two out of the next three to feel, to feel good going into a game against Butler to begin Big East. So, Well, I think the, one of the things that I think is discouraging – First of all, they had three exhibition matches, so this isn't quite the same as what the volleyball team had to deal with, where they only had one warm-up and then Washington's staring them right in the face and pit and things like that. I mean, Creighton had three 90s to, you know, what, and they felt like confident in what they had done there. Yeah, they looked good. Obviously, obviously Elmar warned. He's like, we'll find out here because the quality is going to jump up a little bit. Um, Wisconsin, I thought – I still think Wisconsin is an NCAA tournament team. I think they yes. bring a lot back from a team that almost made it last year. Yes, uh, they have a Matt Herman Trophy guy. I think they'll be in. So that was a good result. But it just, you know, the Virginia Tech match, it just got, they just got flatter and flatter as that match went on. And it looked like it carried right into the Grand Canyon one, as you said. But I mean, the shot disparity was one thing, but. They, they weren't on frame, and they weren't they, were, they weren't with much purpose, and it felt like there was one more touch they could have made, one more play extra in and the box the that they could have made that would have led to, you know, a high percentage look and at least a shot on frame. I think, you know, against Grand Canyon, or against Virginia Tech, they had 19 shots, and I think only seven were on frame. And, and against yeah. Grand Canyon, the first one uh, by Sven Koenig almost went in. Uh, great save by Grand Canyon's keeper to keep it out of there. Uh, and the next 14 shots were all just like kicking them down to Caniglia Field or down to the CenturyLink Center. Like they weren't with any purpose. They didn't look like they were even close to being accurate. So I think the thing that was, you know, probably most alarming and discouraging from their attacking percent point of view is that, you know, there wasn't much purpose to what they were doing. They were just kind of getting into the attacking third and then, you know, kicking the thing as hard as they could in the general direction of the goal. But, not really creating dangerous chances out of it. So I'm not sure if they feel good coming out of the Grand Canyon match. I know they, they got the result, which is what they needed um, because they were chasing down some historical marks that the program had never done before that I don't think they wanted to be a part of. But, I mean, we're talking about a Stanford team that they're facing now that is the two-time reigning national champion and probably is a, was a year ahead of schedule last year. So they're the real deal this year now. Yeah, they're going to score. Stanford's going to score uh, on Creighton. Yeah, that's going to be a tough, tough one to get a yeah. result out of. So, and that, that's what's almost more. That, the more more, more more disappointing to me than anything is is the defense, honestly. And I know they gave up two goals in a weekend, 
but I, I, ha- I have very little doubt that, it, if, that it, this offense will begin to click, and it's going to be very tough to stop. There's just too many weapons. Yeah. They're, they're just not familiar with themselves. Some of the, you know, some of the transfers came in later, and they just didn't have the reps with some of the first-team guys. And so I, I have a little problem that, that they're just a little pass. Like you said, they're just a couple touches or a little bit of movement or communication away from really clicking. And when they start clicking, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough to defend that many weapons coming at you. The problem is their defense just doesn't look very settled. And, and Elmar likes to attack with his wing backs. Stauffer and Ward are, um, are seasoned. They know what to do. But, but that, and I thought both played well this weekend. Both Stauffer and did. Ward I thought played well. They did, and that, that space is going to be there all year for those two. The problem is that, that you're going to have to have more discipline from your midfield players, Rydstrand and Pollard or whoever's playing in the middle, Hawkinson, Frankie. they got to be more disciplined to help out those center backs if Stauffer and Ward are going to be allowed to go up and go forward and make plays, which is, which is, mm-hmm. which is what Creighton's offense is going to be predicated on. And, and you've got to have more discipline from those center midfield guys, and it's a lot of responsibility. And Reitzerin and Frankie are some of your better offensive guys in the box or around the box. But if they're, if they're going to be asked to play in the middle, they got, they've got to be more disciplined because you know, Virginia Tech had a lot of opportunities when we started to really push, and that came to maybe some lack of discipline from, um, from, some, of the, uh, from some of the newer guys in the back, and, and, that, and, that's, and that's concerning. So I wonder if we'll see a formation change or players moved around. Um, because against Virginia Tech, it looked like it was working great for the first half an hour, and then after that, it, it did not work whatsoever. And so I'm interested to see how they line up against a Stanford team that's gonna that's gonna push them right away, and it, and it's gonna punch them in the face. And um, Creighton's got the firepower to play with them up front. It's just can they collectively play team defense, uh, you know, and protect Kluver, and um, and and then um, see if they can grind a result out. So, right. And you'll be yeah, able to watch that. For sure. You'll be able to watch that Friday night. I think uh, maybe some online streaming. I know it's being televised out on the West Coast, but obviously that helps no one. Uh, well, not. I thought I saw a Pac-12 Networks like yeah. on the Stanford schedule. Yeah, that'd be I think great. It, is, it is on the Pac-12 Network. I think yeah. That'd be super. So yeah. um, the Jays volleyball team did great on the Pac-12 Network last weekend. Maybe a little bit of the good juju carries over. Um, against the two-time national, uh, two-time reigning national champion men's soccer program from Stanford, but and um, and, 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 the, and the chances there, I mean, if you're Creighton, you, you want nothing more than to go to play Stanford. I mean, who else would you want to yeah. kind of go and prove right. yourself? I mean, the opportunity is right there for them. They they have Stanford's got a lot of pro players on their roster. So does Creighton. So if they want to go and you know prove it to themselves, just like the women's volleyball team did, I mean, it's right there. They can go do it. They just got to go do it, and so uh, you know, you know, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what, what what we're talking about next week. So, true. Yeah, I asked Elmar flatly, like, what? How do they get up for that? And he's like, "This is the easiest match to get up for." I mean, yeah, it's number one team in the nation, two-time national champ. What else are you not going to be excited for? So, no pressure on Creighton. They're going out there to play free and easy. Sounds good. Um, we might be talking about something at the next podcast, depending on how this week's worth of recruiting visits go. Joey, while we've got you on the phone, we'd really love to hear about what's happening down on the men's basketball recruiting front. I know that we've got a guest in Omaha as we speak, yeah? Yeah, uh, the uh, top 150 uh, kind of a shooting point guard, Marcus Zigarowski, is uh, on, on campus uh, this week for an official visit. Uh, I believe this is his first official visit, and uh, if if anything, I'm led to believe from uh, 
you know, people in the know and uh, just reading between the lines of some of the recruiting articles that came out on Marcus uh, last month after the AAU season. Uh, Creighton is probably the, the leader for his services. Um, he's a, uh, you know, a lead guard, uh, kind of became a household name on the AAU circuit for his shooting ability, uh, really lights out from three. Uh, smart player. Uh, his brother is uh, Michael Carter Williams, the NBA player for the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, no, I can't remember what team. Yeah, I can. Who knows? But but that was, you know, <laughs> getting getting his uh, uh, official visit and being first, I, I think is pretty telling for the Jays. He sounded high on the Jays to national media. Uh, the coaches love him, and uh, with two scholarships open. Um, he seems like the perfect kind of fit, uh, would fill a need, uh, seems like a kind of character culture guy for Creighton. And so, um, I think, I think there's definitely, uh, uh, some smoke with that fire. Fire, 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 fire. What else we got? Anything fire. else? On fire? <laughs> Any, anything else you guys want to talk about before we jump into this? Uh, we got a new baseball Volleyball. assistant coach. Volleyball. How'd your ticket? Volleyball landed, landed yeah. Well, it's good. I got I got two tickets. Um, uh, there's still about sixty left. It looks like or something like okay. that. I can't count that fast. But um, sounds good. Not not, <laughs> not the not the greatest seats, but let's just let's just fill that place up and make it rowdy. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. There you go. Yeah. The uh, coach booth with another one of her wonderful. The future is bright. Cryptic, not so cryptic tweets tonight. <laughs> um, and then the World Herald following up with an article about the verbal commitment that they received from a uh, junior. M- Emily Bressman. Yeah, Emily Bressman from Omaha Marion High School. So another piece of the future puzzle falling into place for Coach Kirsten Brunthal Booth's program. Um, so big get there. We had and a- uh, great basketball's got a recruit on campus today too. So we almost, I thought for a second that we'd be on this podcast talking about three commits. I seriously did. It was it was like that. Nice. That nip and tuck. So well, yeah, decide, there should be a maybe should be we just, weekend. Maybe we just filibuster this for like another hour and see if it happens. We'll just all stare at Twitter, maybe read our favorite <laughs> tweets to come through. Uh see if JJY can get like ten mil or more on his <laughs> on his uh grassroots fundraising effort, which is remarkable. Um yeah. but yeah, I mean, you know, we got a new baseball assistant coach. Uh Coach Wallace leaves and um in his place we Coach Service ends up bringing in a gentleman by the name of Connor G- Gandossi. Matt, is that right? Gandossi. Sounds right. Sounds right. I have never met the individual. That sounds good to me. It sounds like you'll be doing a, you know, he's only a few short months away from you featuring him as a podcast uh, interview, I'm sure. Right. But um, yep. when it comes to the Jays from from St. Louis University, uh, a Billiken and, uh, by blood, but um, just a lot going on on campus and um, really kind of crazy to think that we're only a, a couple long weeks away from from men's basketball getting more in the more in the swing of things matt right right matt september 30th september 30th what are we one month now yeah. yeah one month exactly one month exactly speaking of men's basketball set up this interview with us you got tim McAllister for about an oh, hour yeah. what, what, what's going on with tim let let people out there who don't know tim know about tim well, you're going to love this because actually the first 10 minutes is like me pretty much having him tell everybody who he is. So Perfect. Let him do that, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> it is a little in-depth. We get to know him, obviously, and then uh, we get into the meat potatoes of the great men's basketball team. So he's obviously the video coordinator, which uh, 
means he puts together all those lovely little scouting reports every week for every team. Um, spends a lot of time working on that, and he knows the game very well, and he's a knowledgeable guy. So I, I found him. I always find him a very interesting conversation, and he was nothing short of that during this interview. So if you want to know kind of the basic philosophies and the nuts and bolts and why Creighton does this defensively, why Creighton does this offensively. And we also get into how the current roster fits into those spots. Um, we kind of dissect the freshmen a little bit and some of the returning players and get into some recruiting philosophies of what Creighton looks for as far as fit and things like that and why that's so important to what they do. Um, it's, it's a little bit different of an interview, but it's a very interesting one nonetheless. Super. So we'll go ahead and listen to that interview here, um, and that's going to do it for our show. So make sure that you stick around listen to Matt DeMarinas' feature with Tim McAllister, uh, video coordinator for the Creighton Men's Basketball Program. Um, again, before we sign off for the night, I want to give a shout-out to Lawler's Custom Sportswear for their sponsorship of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Thank you, Lawler's, as always. Thank you. Thank you, Lawler's. Saw him tweeting some uh, – so I'm, so I'm tweeting some some great pics uh, of the volleyball gear that they're cranking out ahead of this weekend. I know a lot of that was going to be sent nice. um, online as well. So good to see that Creighton volleyball swag get out there. Um, and Yeah, Matt, Creighton's best chance for a national title. There you go. They might as well start printing the national championship <laughs> T-shirts that they'll wear on the, on the court now. And if not, you know, they can donate them to some other place, some other country way down the send, line. Send Send the first one to Brian. Send them. Send. Them, I'll have Elmar Bolowich sign it for me. Uh, oh, and then, man. Yeah, that'd be brutal. <laughs> you know, the face he would give you with that? Oh, man. That'd right be, before yeah. he he'll rips. Still, he'll, sign it, he'll sign it in. <laughs> he'll sign it in your own blood. I will tell him that he was my choice, though. So maybe he'll spare me. Um, Fair yeah, enough. Lawler's appreciate all the support. All the Jays fans out there listening to us uh, on a week-to-week or week-ish to week-ish basis. Appreciate you sticking with us and tuning in. We've had a nice little run here the last couple episodes. So make sure to tell your fellow Blue Jays fans about the podcast. Always feel free to send in ideas for topics that you want to hear or folks on campus you want us to interview. And we'll do our best to hook you guys up with the coverage that you want. So um, for that and for Joey Tempo and Matt D. Moranis, my name is Brian Tott. I'm signing off tonight on the Blue Jays Bites podcast with a hearty good night and go Jays. Go Jays. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Creighton fans, whatever you're listening to this. Uh, another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast with a one-on-one sit-down with Creighton men's basketball video coordinator slash basketball savant slash future NBA champion head coach slash soon to be father slash occasional pickup sharpshooter <laughs> Tim McAllister. Um Tim, how you doing? I'm good. The occasional part's very, very <laughs> much emphasized in that sharpshooting segment there. That was the only part I didn't I got wrong. Yeah. Sharp okay. Well good luck in your future NBA champion career. Thank you. Thank you. Um well I guess first of all, before we get into the meat and potatoes of what everybody probably wants to listen to, um you are expecting I mean you're not expecting like you're 
I'm expecting something. You're to sitting there expecting yeah. something to happen. Not, not doing the, not doing the physical part of it yet, but uh, yeah, you are a soon-to-be father. Uh, we are one week away from the due date. Oh my! One full week, and uh, I can't wait for a little man to come out fast enough. Little Ezekiel Charles, we can call him Zeke. He's not suspended yet, is he? He's when not he comes suspended yet. Yeah. He doesn't wear half tees yet. <laughs> like we're good with all that. Does he have uh, a great offensive line in front of him? Yeah. Or no? We're hoping. No. Okay, we're right. hoping he doesn't need to get hit a whole lot, especially early. Yeah. You know? uh, no, yeah, really excited for him to come into the world. Uh, wife and I's first child, so we're uh, we're jacked up. Congratulations to you. Um, now it's come. The due date is technically September September fifth, right? Correct. So. Um, are you going to try to push that back like 24 hours or so? I hear September 6th is a really great day. <laughs> well, Not we're actually to, like... avoiding 20, uh, September 6th at all costs. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought someone's cool birthday was on that day, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'm wrong. But no, I mean, I guess how is that? I imagine since this is your first child, there's a lot of different emotions going into that. Like you're very excited. I'm sure there's a lot of nerves Am I doing the process right? Am I ready for this kind of thing? Like, where's your balance at? How how much how excited are you versus how nervous are you? It's pretty much like when you know you get like your first scout, you have no idea what you're doing. Are you seriously going to compare this to? A I'm 100 percent <laughs> comparing this oh to. Oh my scout. god! You have no idea what you're doing, but in you're case jacked this up. Dude this dude is a basketball <laughs> junkie. In case that was any clearer, where he immediately took that. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm really excited to be doing okay. it. Uh, yeah, my wife guides me a lot. She's kind of like, you know, that veteran assistant coach or head coach. So She it, is a head coach. So and she's a rifle. Yes, rifle coach. For the university. So she's used to extreme calm under pressure, correct? So, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm assuming like her heart rate as, as this all goes down is going to be like 58. Really? Yeah, just like just chilling. Like, know? like at the ten. What's the what's the ten centimeter dilation or whatever uh, it is? Like, yeah, sure. The worst pain she'll possibly feel. She'll have a straight face the whole sure, time. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, just to give a little background on you here a little bit. Um, you are from a basketball family. You're raised into it, but you're also from. You also have a military background, so it's 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 a combination of extreme love for the game with extreme discipline for a daily um a daily attacking of the grind if you will yeah so i guess what what how does your background how's your background morphed you into who you are right now so my my background as you said is is a little different my dad actually was in the air force and then he started coaching right and so i was around coaching my whole life uh we were in i was raised kind of in a very much like a low income community the two the two big uh the two big job makers in our town were the state prison where it was actually where charles manson was held nice uh so that that High brings profile. a lot of really good people um to where he lived <laughs> and then cotton and so they weren't necessarily it was a very uh it was a very low income town but uh he coached and loved it absolutely loved uh what what's funny about it is that when I look back on it, I didn't learn as much basketball from him mm-hmm. as I learned like how to treat people and how excited he would get when a girl who had no idea she was going to be able to go to college got a full ride to Arizona. Ended up being the one of them actually ended up being the uh, freshman of the year in the pack the pack ten as it was then. Sure. Um, the joy that he got going to the Sweet Sixteen, things like that. Like how much fun he had interacting and. And me being around it every day, like that's that's how I got my love for the game. 
uh, not necessarily playing. I had you know some poor playing experiences. It happens to and, the best uh, of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, when I got out of when I got out of high school, I uh, started going to college. I thought after September 11th that I was going to be fighting terrorism. And you that did? was going to be yeah. my thing. So I joined the military. I became a criminal justice major. Took terrorism courses. Um, absolutely, like immersed myself in this whole deal where I was going to go and like try and right wrongs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't. I didn't get into the military so that I could, so that I could kill people. And yeah, so I was gonna say there's a lot. I imagine there was a lot of emotion around that day. There's and there's a lot of people that do it for that. Sure. I got in it because I thought I could help people that way. Okay. And I could protect people that way. And as it turns out, that's the same reason that I coach. Really. Like I love coaching because I love helping people, and I like. I love it when a former player will say like, hey, I just got a brand new job, I'm really excited, or a couple weeks ago I got a text, hey, you know, Foss is engaged, um, which was one of our players back at Emory and stuff like that. Really cool for me to see guys excel after they leave and help them grow into men. Um, So that was the same reason I got into the military, but I I went overseas. um, So I did my training, I was at Murray State, uh, and, and I was writing about uh, hoops and still was around the game, but I didn't. I wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went overseas. Did you still love the game at that point? I loved the game, but I you had other. It. You still had a, a, but I still other had, major goal in mind. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I thought that my my path was set. Thought mm-hmm. my purpose was there, and uh, I got overseas and I started started working in it, and I enjoyed it each day, even though it was hard work. It was thirteen hours, but when there was a call for a basketball coach on the base. It was a little bit different. I was like, you know, this is something, uh, this is something I really like. I missed because I was gone during basketball season, um, and so I was really missing watching games, being around the game, all that kind of thing. And so I was like, hey, this is a great way to do it. I'll help out in any way I can. Is what I wrote back because mm-hmm. um, it was a base wide email and stuff like that. Uh, and they emailed back said, great, you're the head coach. Well, I had never been an assistant coach by by any stretch. I had never been a graduate assistant. I had never done any of that. So right. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm i like, all right, well, where's my team? And they said, well, no, you have to do trials. You have to film it. You have to do it yourself. Yeah. I, I said, wait, wait, wait. I thought there was a team. I would have played. <laughs> like, I'm a 20-year-old dude right now. I wanted to play Did at that point Did you feel that still. at that point that they were like, we want you to coach the team, even though you were so young enough to maybe play on the team? Yes, absolutely. Like, wait, why didn't, why do, how old do I look to you? Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, you guys have no idea what you're doing, <laughs> just as I don't know what I'm doing. So I put together a team, and there was not a single person younger than me on that team. Every single person was either of equal rank or outranked me. That had to hurt. So that was that was an interesting <laughs> dynamic, um, but uh, but it was really awesome. The guys, you know, I was just up front with them. Hey, uh, we, let's make this separate from work. Like, let's make this a cool deal that we get to do. Um, and we didn't know what we were doing it for at that point. Mm-hmm. And we ended up uh, doing a couple games against the host country. Um, we ended up playing our first game. It was a friendly game, and so it was commemorated by the U.S. ambassador, um, the prime minister of sports of the country. The prime minister showed up, um, which was a really big deal, and there were about 3,000 fans there. Wow. Uh, which in Kyrgyzstan was, was obviously a lot of people to watch a hoops game. And we ended up playing against the collegiate all-stars. So they had just had their national championship um, amongst their university teams, mm-hmm. and so they put together an all-star team to play us. And I had, you know, I had a couple players that, you know, you wouldn't think. It was kind of a, 
a scrubs bunch where I had a backup point guard from Purdue who blew out his knee. Okay. I had a, uh, a Division three shooter from the WIAC, which is a really good conference up in Wisconsin. I had a walk-on from Mississippi State who was actually just out on guard duty. He had got deployed and didn't particularly want to. Mm-hmm. And I had a former Juco big who was like 6'6". Six, six. Um, it's a ragtag group. So it was a ragtag group, but I absolutely loved, like, I had some dudes who, who had basketball acumen and, and kind of understood the game and helped me. And um, it was really, really fun. And, and uh, that first game really sealed it for me because we were down about 15 at the half. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We had never played with each other, you know, all that kind of stuff, and and I'm not gonna make this. This isn't like a win-one for the Gipper speech that I gave. It was way lower on the scale. But you tried though, right? But I tried. tried like I gave it, it my best shot. <laughs> I gave it. I basically just looked at him and I was like, "Listen, you're probably never gonna play with like USA on your chest ever again. Uh-huh. I'm probably never gonna coach." for our country ever again. Uh-huh. Let's go out there and give this a better shot than we did in the first half. <laughs> and it was kind of kind of went that's, like that. That's and better than you think. That sounds better than you think for a first time. I'm right? glad it does because uh-huh. it sounded awful you coming did not, out. You did not feel good about I it coming out? did like, not feel good I about say it. To them? They're just like looking at me like, <laughs> all right, I guess. You know, sure. You weren't putting out those confident vibes at no, all? No, not at all. We didn't like leave, leave the locker room going, ah! <laughs> Let's get them. No, nothing like that. Less of, more unsure than you went in, huh? Yes, okay. probably. I was like, ah, this could go really poorly in the second half. Uh-huh. Uh, but we came out, like, got a dunk pretty quick uh, off a little set play and, uh, like, ran away with it there in the second half. Ended up winning by 15 to 20. And really? Was, you flipped it that much, huh? Yeah. Wow. And it was, it was a really cool experience. Uh, so I came back and, and started working. Uh, I went to Billy Kennedy, who's now the head coach at Texas A&M, mm-hmm. and was the head coach at Murray State. And I went to Steve Prohm, who was his assistant, who's now the head coach at Iowa State. Right. And I said, listen, I'll do anything you want me to do, and I'll do it for free. Really? And I, I said, I just want to get in. I want to learn. Like, I'm going to school. I got this guard thing, that I, this Air Force thing that I still have to kind of, like, do. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm all yours. And so they were very – they were awesome to me. Uh, kind of taught me the ropes, Coach Prohm especially. Um, I was with him a majority of the time. And uh, just learned a ton from him and those assistants. And then was fortunate enough to get an assistant job at a Division three, Emory University in Atlanta. Um, I was there for one year. We went to the Elite Eight. Coach Zimmerman taught me how to be an assistant. He taught me how to be a professional. He, he taught me um, how to simplify without um, – without dumbing it down okay um and i was around some extremely smart dudes uh that's that school's unbelievable the guys that we had were really really good dudes um and and i was very fortunate to be there so that's kind of what led up to me getting here mm-hmm. um and, and then i was fortunate enough that coach brome had a relationship with steve lutz that when my wife got the uh head rifle job at that other school that we won't name down the road um I was able to I was able to get on here, and Coach McDermott kind of took me in, and uh, this is where I, I feel like I've gotten my PhD in basketball. So it's been really fun. What about being here has <sighs> transformed? Is a little overdramatic. I mean, like kind of enhanced your your basketball acumen. Being in a a fairly people may 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 know this may not know this, but you your practices and your drills and 
everything you guys do on a daily basis, very pro style, pro oriented. Like when you watch, um, like inside the NBA specials, you'll you'll see. I'm like, oh, I've seen that every single day. Like you guys have a very professional way about going about business. How has that enhanced you as an yeah. upcoming basketball coach? I think that I think Coach McDermott is one of the one of the smartest basketball minds in the, in college basketball right really? now. And I think that when you talk to to the peers, excuse me, mm-hmm. when you talk to to peers around the country, they'll all say the same thing, especially offensively. Having just such a creativity, having such a an an intellectual view of the game in terms of, all right, you're doing this, I'm going to counter with this, mm-hmm. and even in practice and things like that. All right, what are we facing? What are we not very good at? What are people throwing at us? We're going to create drills around that in order to try and get better at that. And I think just the whole level of detail um, that he brings each time has forced me to raise my game. And it's made me prepare at a much higher level um, for every single scout, for every single drill, for every single game. Um, I'm having to bring him the most in-depth information that I can bring him. And there's still times that he'll say, well, what about this set three years ago that they ran against us late game? And I'm like, I have no idea how you remember that. Did not even consider that, yeah. But I will go back and I'll make sure that we got that. So that's really how he's raised kind of my IQ and everyone around us um, just raised our level of prep in that. Now, I think a criticism of – potential criticism of that or potential negative of that is you prepare your players that way. Obviously, it's one thing for you to be ready for anything so you can get them ready for anything, but that's the preparation on a daily basis is to have them as prepared as they possibly can when they hit the court under the lights. That way, nothing surprises them sort of deal. But a byproduct of that might be for an 18 to 22-year-old mind who also has class schedule and things like that, a paralysis by analysis to where there's a lot of information and then you can barely remember any of it because it's all kind of like jumbled up in there. How do you... How do you work them through that process to where they're prepared but not overprepared to the point where they might panic and forget something and then have it all scrambled. Right. I, I think that our assistants do an unbelievable job of making sure that the main points are hammered in. So, you know, if, if it's Darren DeVries' scout, he's going to pick out the three main things that we need to beat whoever it is that we're playing. Mm-hmm. All right, if we're playing Nebraska with – you know, Andrew, or I'm sorry, not Andrew White, but Ty Webster and Glenn Watson, the guys that go right all the time, we're hammering home like no right, no right, no right. So every time that we're doing a drill, every time that we're doing anything in prep, that main point that we think is the most important thing is getting hammered home every single time. Now there's going to be things we don't expect them to to, to be as prepared as we are. Mm-hmm. Like that's not really realistic to think of. Right. But... We want to be able to give them the tools so that even if we need to remind them in game, like let's say it's a last, like kind of going back to the scenario that, that I was talking about with Coach, where he said, you know, we there's a late game set from three years ago that they ran against us. I want to make sure we have that drawn up, and I want to make sure that I have seen that. So that even if we run that one time in practice and the guys don't remember that necessarily specifically on the floor all the time, mm-hmm. late game we can say, well, remember, we, they, we ran this at you in practice and this is what they may run late game. And so that way if they do, and you know, a lot of times we can make educated guesses about that kind of thing, mm-hmm. 
I'm not saying we're right a lot, but we can be right enough that it that it helps. Where guys will not get hit by that screen or get through and blow that whole play up, and it it ends up working in our favor. So it's not necessarily us wanting to give them everything all the time and have them remember everything all the time, but having had that muscle memory and seen it the one time to where we can remind them and then hopefully get a stopping game. And I didn't know, you didn't give away in the Nebraska game prep, by the way. He just was talking in general, general <laughs> strengths and weaknesses. Well, Ty Webster's gone now. Glenn Watson <laughs> right, right. still goes right. So right. We'll be uh, okay. He'll be good. We'll be fine. Um, I guess when you're looking at this current group that you have – coming here. I know it's, it's still kind of a small sample size because you haven't put any, you put in like the basic structure, but obviously the playbook hasn't been implemented yet. Um, what do you see as the current strength, before we kind of talk about the, the areas of deficiency, what do you see as the current strength of this group? Something that you think in game one you won't be surprised if it goes well, if you're good at A, B, and C. What do you expect? I think the number one thing that these guys have come in with is a sense of unselfishness. Like, there's nobody in this group that thinks that they're bigger and better than than anybody else. Except for Preston. Except for Preston. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Preston's out there playing bully ball and pickup right now, we don't, I don't know. Right. But, uh, no, it's, there. there's no guy that's unwilling to make that one more pass. And that's been really fun for mm-hmm. us. Um, where you get one, two, three more passes, and all of a sudden we got a wide open layup or a wide open three. Um that's something that I wouldn't, uh, I would expect to see in game one. Um, and a lot of times it takes time and yeah. it takes a certain amount of chemistry, but I think these guys have clicked quickly in terms of, I'm going to make the one more pass. Like that's our culture and that's what we're doing. And I think that when you have a really good ball dominant point guard, you lose some of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that that's the wrong way or the right way because it can be. It's just a way. It's a way. Yes. And now I think that we're going to – we have a better group in terms of sharing it right away. Ball doesn't – the ball doesn't uh, – it doesn't stop with guys as much. And that's been really fun to see. How people might interpret that. We'll talk about the point guard situation in a little bit, even though you kind of just said a by committee situation there. Don't panic yet. Creighton fans stay on the line. Um, <laughs> I love giving people a hard time. Um, so I guess – Something that we've talked about in the past a little bit here, but maybe you can elaborate on it, is obviously the Big East has 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 enhanced the profile of this basketball program to where it's you know your name is in different living rooms now. You're attracting a different kind of athlete, but you're not going to sacrifice your principles for a better athlete if he can't fit into what you're trying to do on a daily basis. Absolutely. So. How have you tried to use the enhanced profile of this program, and not you specifically, but I mean you as a basketball program, tried to use this enhanced profile on the national stage to attract a better athlete, but one that also fits into what you're doing. You know, a high IQ basketball player, uh, ranges a shooter, uh, an unselfish playmaker type of deal. What's the dynamic like as far as finding the right fits while also trying to make sure you're more equipped to deal with what you have to deal with on a daily basis in the Big East? I think that our style of play is actually one of the biggest things that we can push. Yeah. And I think that that's what attracts that better athlete that you're talking about, that better player, is that we guys want to play fast. You'll hear it a million times on media days coming up in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Like, 
people are going to say, well, we want to play a little faster this year, da 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 Well, we actually play that way. Mm-hmm. Like, we are in a transition, we're absolutely trying to score in the first seven seconds. Yeah. And we have evidence to back that up, and we have guys that have played that way that can talk to them. Um, and I think that when you see that, that that attracts that, attracts that kind of guy. And we're not necessarily – they're, the guy who wants the the ISOs and 24 dribbles, it really isn't going to be attracted to our style of play. And so it helps us um, when guys watch us play. And now we're on TV every single game. You know, we're, we're broadcast last year, I believe, it was every single game in our on our entire schedule. Yeah. And so people are seeing us more, so they know what we're about. So there's not, like, a lot of confusion when we walk into a living room and say, we want you because of X, Y, and Z. And we believe that you fit because of A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a there's we don't we don't have to waste our time as much with guys who don't play that way. Do you feel like your system the system you guys try to implement on a, on a you know, where you implement you implement the structure early on and you throw in the playbook and then it all kind of morphs together. But I mean, you see other teams around the nation, other coaches that preach playing fast that want the tempo to keep going but they're not very um advanced or you know complicated with what they do when they when teams slow you down it feels like like north carolina is an example of having a very simplified system they play very fast but there's a lot of freedom Mm -hmm. you play very fast you have a lot of freedom but then when things slow down a little bit you also have sets and options out of those sets and things that require execution, ball movement. So where do you place more emphasis on? Do you want your players more prepared for when things slow down and don't necessarily happen smoothly in the first seven seconds of a shot clock? Or how to create high percentage looks out of a you know, a slower style of game? I think it's I think that there should be emphasis on both. Okay. I think that we can't lose the emphasis. A lot of teams lose their emphasis on pace about halfway through the season. Really? Because everyone knows what you're doing. Everyone's sending three, four, five guys back, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people kind of like throw their hands up in the air. Like, all right, well, we can't run anymore. We're just going to do something else. Yeah. No. Like, we try and put pressure on the defense because that yields other things. Even if we're – even sometimes I hear I hear people say, like, Oh, they just push the ball up, and then they're just they're they're going crazy. No, checking the first shot, right? Yeah. No, we push the ball up, and a lot of times, even if we don't get anything out of that initial break, mm-hmm. we might get a mismatch out of that initial break. So now you have your 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 five man on your three man. Well, now we when we get into our motion, where our guys know how to play, and they're setting screens for each other, and cutting, and doing this kind of stuff, even if it's without our sets, mm-hmm. we can now exploit those mismatches. And we can go at that and we can make a back cut and the five-man doesn't react as quick or, you know, things like that. So that pace isn't just for scoring right away. It can also be for the the long game where you're, you know, they're trying to make you burn 25 seconds off your shot clock. Mm -hmm. So I think that making sure that you place that emphasis, but then also you have to prepare them for after that. All right, so they defended it well. Now we're into our next action. Now we need to execute, or we need to go right into our motion, flow right into it, whatever it is that we're doing. So, one thing Greg McDermott said, or Coach McDermott said a lot last year was, 
one thing that he thought was maybe something that was an issue in the offense was there were guys were taking a lot of first side shots, which means he meant the ball is only touching maybe one or two hands. It's never going side to side, and you're finding the first shot you think is a good shot, and it goes up. I know I know what you guys think is a great shot, and it's pretty obvious. What do you see as a good shot out of offensive execution? Do you, I mean how much how much how much importance is there on making sure the entire floor is spaced well, but also spaced well with a threat to where you're not taking so many first side shots and the defense isn't having to overload that one side, knowing that you're probably not going to use that side of the floor. Yeah, you're going to get. You're going to get a lot better shots if you reverse it more than two times. Okay. There's a ton of statistics in both college and in the NBA that more than two reversals is going to yield you your your shooting percentages go up exponentially. Really. So when you start taking that into account, it's because you move the defense, and when the defense has to move and they have to react to three, four different things, where I have to help and recover, or I have to switch, or I have to get through this screen there's more chances for them to screw up. Mm-hmm. And if you don't make them have those chances to screw up, they won't. If you just set a, a first side ball screen and no one collapses or you know the roller didn't do his job or whatever it is, and then you don't get it reversed and instead you take a quick shot, you're going to take a lower percentage shot than you would have off of a, sec- a second or third reversal mm-hmm. where the defense has had to move and guard multiple actions. So... We emphasize that quite a bit if we're not getting something initially that we want to get it reversed, we want to get some more some movement, make them defend multiple actions. Now, is it one of those things where it's like a feel thing in the game? Because, I mean, if, if, if the first side shot ends up being an um, open three for Marcus or Kyrie or, you know, Toby off of a pick and pop, you're probably not mad at that shot. You're probably no. thinking that's good. Like, is there a point where you're saying, okay... Well, we haven't hit it in three straight times down the floor. Now let's be a little more patient. Is that when it starts to become more deliberate when it just hasn't worked a couple of times? Because you're not totally against the first side shot if it's high percentage, right? Right, absolutely. And there's going to be time. Uh, the situation that you're describing is generally when we call a set. Yeah. Like, all right, we're, we need to get a good shot. We know we need to get a good shot. Let's call this set that we think is going to work and and then go from there because – Within our sets, we have built in. You're going to have to guard multiple actions. We're going to put the defense in a tough spot and then hopefully get the shot that we want. Mm-hmm. So, And even if you don't, and this is lost on a lot of people because they'll, people will say, like, oh, they didn't score on that set. Well, that set may have yielded, as I said before in transition, a mismatch. Mm-hmm. It may have yielded someone who's now confused, and that extra movement after that Getting into the motion after that, now you can exploit it where a guy was set before. Mm-hmm. A simple ball screen might be different because he doesn't understand his help responsibilities or he didn't know what they were doing in ball screen coverage because he wasn't in it before. Things like that. So that set yielding to motion and us getting a good shot out of that is also important. Defensive philosophies. Obviously, the scouting report switches game to game. Different teams have different strengths. You guys are very detail-oriented in the scouting report and what you want to take away from certain teams. What would you characterize as the defensive principles of your team, the, f- the foundation of your defense that you think are absolute musts no matter who's on the floor against you? I, I think that we don't want to give up any layups, obviously. Okay. And we want to take away rhythm open threes. The same thing that we want offensively, we, want, we don't want to give up defensively. Okay. Um, that's kind of – don't you find that that's kind of – what you do well offensively is often what you don't 
guard Absolutely. well against defensively just because you're used to, I don't know, you're used to, like, having to defend all the time, but then it's usually having to work. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You don't want to – you know what the most efficient looks are as yeah. a coach, and you realize, like, all right, I don't want to give that up defensively sure. either. <laughs> Like uh, in an ideal world, no one wants to. Absolutely. Like I want to yeah. take the I want to take wide open threes and layups all the time, and then yeah. I don't want to give up any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really that that's kind of a defensive philosophy for us. And then a lot of it's going to, like you said, depend game to game, scouting report to scouting report, because the personnel varies so much, especially in our league. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I've heard some interesting things this summer about like people that will or teams that will exclusively force left. Well, if you get into our league and you start looking at the ball handlers in our league yeah. and you're going to force left against St. John's, like you got Shamori Pons and Marcus Levette. You want to force left against Kadeem Carrington? I don't think so. Right. You know, and, and then you start getting into thinking about that and having those hard, hard principles where you absolutely do not waver from them mm-hmm. is great for a lot of programs. But when you get to this level and you get to this caliber, there have to be tweaks made game to game. That doesn't mean you have to completely go away from everything that you that you believe in. You just have to be flexible in what it is that you're doing. Is there a difference in 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 that mindset, non conference versus non versus conference play? In that conference play, you have the eighteen games. You play teams twice. You're going to go through it and probably know what everybody wants to do as far as strengths and weaknesses go. As opposed to a non conference schedule where there might be a little more unknown and less preparation involved. I mean, when you say a team wants to focus on very specific principles like force and left, mm-hmm. would that maybe get them through a certain portion of their schedule, but once you're at least halfway through your conference schedule, everybody's going to know that thing inside and out? Yeah, potentially. Um, I think it really depends. It, we do a, an unbelievable amount of preparation. Yes. Um, just in, talk, in talks with uh, other teams around the country, in talks with NBA teams, um, which is what I do a lot of the summer studying other programs. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of people that prepare the way that we prepare. Um, and that's a testament to coach and to our assistants and, and just the level of detail that is, that is expected. Um, so for us, we don't necessarily scout it different. We're going to try and make the, the necessary adjustments. Now, are there games that you feel like you can work on you more? Yeah. Really? Like you, you want to focus in on we need to get better at this. And so we're going to do it in-game because we think we need it, mm-hmm. because we need to be good at this. And so there's going to be games that, like that where you want and That's not necessarily personnel-based. Not necessarily personnel-based. Because you're going down a slippery slope where they'll say, well, this is where you put in the true freshman for 40 minutes, right? No. Yeah, no. That's it's just <laughs> it's a system-based thing, right? No, correct. Yes, okay. Correct. We have to emphasize that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what they can twist. Uh I want to talk about the ingredients a little bit here. We just kind of talked about the finished product. The, yeah, oh, the, wow. your, play, your players here. Things okay. that you're, you're the rest of the people have to cook. I don't want to put them in the oven. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Uh, but <laughs> I guess we'll start with Kyrie Thomas. Probably, I think, the most valuable player on your team, but feel free to disagree. Um, <laughs> but having a guy that, as competitive as he is, and takes that defensive assignment that you give him, um, maybe not personally, but like really to heart, to the point where he doesn't like to be scored on, and he's going in prepared and things like that. The value that he brings to your system defensively to know he's going to handle his job, Scott, report wise, and we pretty much have to worry about the other four. Uh, it's huge. 
It's huge because you you pretty well can count on, all right, what is this guy's production pre-Kyrie mm-hmm. and what what do we think Kyrie's going to be able to do? Really? Um, so you guys can kind of map out what you think Kyrie can take no, away from no, no, we're, we're not doing it that scientific. We're just thinking, like, if he can if he can cut in half what their leading scorer or their leading wing guy is doing. Um, which he often does. Which which is what he, he's done in the past, for, for sure. And right. past, <laughs> like past experiences say, yeah. this is very possible. He, he can hold this guy scoreless. <laughs> he yeah, can yeah. hold this guy, <laughs> you know, a little below the scoring average. Um, and then you start looking at, okay, what, you know, how can we take away other guys? Mm-hmm. Because we know that he is capable of taking away someone almost all on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, you just kind of set him loose on that guy. Um and then you you you're saying all right, how do we take away option two and three? Um, that's invaluable because if you have to start scheming, like all right, we need to take away one, but we don't have anybody that can guard him. Then all right, you know we got to try and do some creative multiple stuff. Feet, yeah, multiple right. Feet, and yeah. you have to start throwing different stuff at him. Then then you can get away from what you really want to do, mm-hmm. and you start giving up two and three a lot um, in terms of scoring options. So. Having him be able to lock down one is huge. Almost makes two the next priority. Like Absolutely. The top priority. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you see as his his uh his pro potential? I know that's you know, he's got half of his career still in front of him, but I mean if you were just to like to calibrate his work ethic with his already the improvement he's already made from freshman to sophomore year being somehow co defensive player of the year <laughs> in the big east, uh you know, what do you see as his potential? I mean, do you think he's do you think he's the next guy to have, you know, one of those giant posters up there after <laughs> Justin? Uh, I would like to think so. Yeah. I would certainly like to think so. I'd I'd love for, you know, Marcus this year to come out and make a huge jump and right. be able to, to get into the league. I think that his just the way he does it is different. And then I I'd love for Kyrie to be the next guy. Um after that. Kyrie's got unbelievable length. People don't realize that a lot. Right. Um, people are like, oh, what, how does he get so many steals? And It's great timing. It is very good timing. Yes. And he's been doing it for many years. It's not years. just wingspan. It's, it's not just wingspan. Yeah. He's got great timing, uh, great instincts. And then you add in like a six foot ten, six foot eleven wingspan yeah. on a six foot three guy, and you start start thinking about it. Like, oh, goodness. And then you know, I think that he's made a huge jump offensively. Right. What's that look like for him this year? How 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 important is he going to be to what you guys? Yeah, he's going to be a huge cog. His product production wise seems like simple, you know, like say, oh, I want him to average around, you know, fifteen to eighteen type of deal. But I mean, what do you see as far as how good he can be offensively, just based on his fundamentals and his work ethic? I think that based on his work ethic, he can he can be you know anything that he wants to be. Michael Jordan. Is what you're saying? <laughs> That's not what I said. Just say that. I think. Not what just, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I think that not. he. Uh, you know, I, I think that he can take steps. He's He's been a, a really, really good spot shooter. I think that he takes steps in terms of his ball handling. I think he can take steps in terms of, you know, being an unbelievable cutter and coming off ball screens. And, you know, he, he just has so much potential to to be one of, you know, one of, one of our main pieces offensively. I'm not sure I appreciate your lack of enthusiasm with Kyrie's evaluation there, but... <laughs> We'll move on. Uh, uh, I have a Kyrie fan I need to get you over with. Uh, I guess Marcus Foster coming into his senior year, all Big East performer, came back pretty, made up his mind that he didn't, you know, want to try to at least test the waters of the draft, came back pretty quickly. First of all, did that 
that surprise you how quickly he made up his mind? Uh, I mean, Marcus is is a smart guy, and based on the information that he was getting, mm-hmm. he understood what the prospects were, and could he have taken a couple of workouts and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely, he could have. But at the same time, I think he wanted to limit distractions. Okay, like if. If I know that I'm I'm not going to be able to 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 make it right away, I would want to come back and make sure I got my butt to work right away as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that coach does a great job with feedback, like, hey, this is what I'm hearing, this is what I've got for you. Not to say that there there wasn't positive feedback as well. Mm-hmm. Just saying that, like, hey, you could you would benefit from having another year of working your tail off and and being better in, in some areas, and mm-hmm. I think that he did that. Offseason Marcus Foster is an interesting character. Uh, Why is he like hoodie mellow, or is this mm-hmm. different? No, he's. I mean, I don't know. He's not hoodie mellow, but like <laughs> he 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 doesn't get in. He's not in game shape. So, uh, but this year it looked like he was a little different. Looks like his offseason was a little bit more. He didn't. He didn't take it easy this time. He, no, he kept working on his game. He stayed ready. I think he's in. He looks like he's in better shape at this point of the season than he was last year. Do you sense a more focused, a more determined, a little bit better leader, Marcus Foster, knowing that this may be more his team than it was last year following kind of Maurice's lead? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is this is Marcus and Taz and Toby's team, and I think that he's taken that bull by the horns, and he's done a good job this summer. Uh, going to your point, we don't want guys in game shape yet. No. Like, it's don't not – picking too early. You can't – yeah, you, you really can't. It's the – and what I this is something that I've talked to uh, Bruce Rasmussen, our athletic director, a little bit about as well. Is there's a lot of studies coming out on on overuse, okay, and why some of these injuries are happening. Um, you see, you like, mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely. I I think that guys need to have a rest period. Okay, they need to have a period where they're still working on their game and they're still getting better, but they don't need to be in peak optimum performance because then you I think you see guys that are getting tired at the end of the year okay. guys that are suffering injuries because of overuse towards the end of the year and I think that he's done a decent job of making sure that he's still working uh, on his game and getting better and leading some of these young guys who need a lot of work um, while while still maintaining an, an okay um, uh, physical condition. So in your in your mind, what's what's the most important part of an offseason as far as getting better then? How does if you say a hundred percent isn't what you should be getting because you're probably gonna wear down, it, how do you, how does a player come back better than they were the year before? I'm not saying that you you're not giving a hundred percent of what you got. I'm saying you don't need to be in like all out, you know, February fifteenth shape. Okay. You need to be in you need to work skills, and I think that you have to get better at something that you weren't as good at last year mm-hmm. and improve your strengths even more. So it's more of a skill thing. It's more of a developing, you know, whether it's routines in order to get better at stuff. I think that's the stuff that you do in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then when you come back, then we'll get you in the physical shape that you need to be in. Uh, you can't be so far out of shape, and I was listening um, – I'm, I'm trying to remember. I believe it was Joe Abdu Nassar who, who I heard at Coaching You in Vegas. And he was talking about the different periods. And it was always, you can't come in any physical transformations that you want to make. So if you're, if you're really thin and you need to bulk up, you need to do that in the summer. 
If you're trying to lean down, you need to do that in the summer. But you don't need to come in exactly where you need to be. Really? Right. To the season. Otherwise, you're going to suffer an injury. That's not a ball is life mentality, though. All his life. <laughs> you're still playing and you're still doing workouts and stuff. You're just not necessarily going for five hours, six hours a day. So you just got them all in hoodies then, making you know, little. That's we're trying to make more hoodie mellows out yeah. guys. I don't know. It's weird. I don't think hoodie mellow looks that good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get the whole. I don't. Like, know. It's a, it's a fad. I'm not really sure. He's playing lazy five on five. He didn't even look that great. Everybody's <laughs> like, oh yeah, trade for hoodie mellow. Does he does he play anything else during the season? I don't know. Is he a multi-sport? Is he a multi-sport athlete? Oh. Tim's next job won't be with the Knicks, everybody. <laughs> uh, although they trash him every day, so maybe it is with the Knicks. Um, <laughs> I guess let's uh, talk a little bit about the freshmen. I, I know everybody wants to hear about the point guards. We're going to save that for the cherry on top. But the the freshmen coming in, don't laugh at me. <laughs> I like to make fun every now and then. Uh, the freshmen coming in, uh, Mitchell Ballack, Tyshawn Alexander, Jacob Epperson, what do you like about what they bring right now before – you know, the head spinning and stuff starts before he's reinventing the playbook <laughs> and all that. I'm sure it's going to be a lot different once September 30th hits. But right now, what do you like about what they bring day to day? I think I think each one of these dudes is coming and ready to work. Okay. Like, there's not a single – none of these dudes came in, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed about what this was going to be about. Like, they came in ready to work. These are the guys that, like, they're learning to come in early. You know, the veterans are grabbing them hey, we're going to get in early today. And they're all about it. Um, before class, after after workouts, all that kind of stuff. Um, these, This is probably the group that I think has been the best in terms of all three being ready to go, ready to work. Like understanding what it looks like, uh, not completely, but like a workout for us. Yeah. Like we know what we're supposed to, we know we're supposed to come in and work hard. So we haven't had a lot of effort mistakes out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're obviously going to have execution mistakes, yep. but they haven't lacked in effort and enthusiasm, which has been awesome. Uh, I think Mitch has been uh, really good in terms of his basketball IQ, yep. high level shooter that, uh, that that knows how to work. I think Tyshawn is a dead eye shooter. I think that he's come in and and his handle has improved tremendously just over the summer. And I think that he's really starting to learn like what we want out of him. And then I think Jacob has, has come in and he's put on a couple pounds already mm-hmm. in terms of weight and strength and conditioning. But his touch and things around the rim, understanding how to roll, understanding you know his his value as a skilled guy out there has been really good. I think he got a defensive compliment yesterday from Greg, Coach Mack, didn't he? Uh, he did. He, he did. made the right read and leave his man right off read. the three in the corner. Absolutely. He, what was the last true freshman you saw get a defensive compliment uh, in, it's, it's in August? A, I don't know that I've ever had one. John and I will look at each other and be like, I think we just saw a unicorn. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is something we're not used to seeing as the freshman. He's in the no right doubt. defensively. Uh, you mentioned Mitch's IQ, but also, I don't think I've left a, you know, one of these team workouts where he hasn't spent maybe at least 30 minutes afterwards working on a shot have you seen a kid that you know 
I think a lot work of people ethic, like to work, work ethic wise, but he takes it pretty <laughs> he serious. He does take it very seriously. Is he serious. not a little he bit does. psychotic with his shot? I mean, no, I, he seems very upset when it even just rattles in. So. Well, yeah, I mean, shooters, all shooters, despite the fact that, and Coach said this in a meeting the other day, like the best NBA shooters miss six out of ten. Yes. And you're going to have like the best shooters still pissed when one doesn't go down. Mm-hmm. And so he's like that. I mean, him and Tyshawn are both like that, and, and it's cool to see. You know, they just can't you, – you can't get down on yourself for missing it. You just have to keep working, and they do. I think they're very serious about trying to get better. Um, and it's been fun to watch. It's been fun. Now, your, your big men situation, um, obviously with Jacob, we talked a lot about it a little bit. Manny Suarez, Toby Hagner's coming off the ankle injury, mm-hmm. the ankle surgery, uh, Martin Krample. How do you feel about that group? Because it's a different kind of group. They're obviously – this isn't meant to be an insult, but like they're more finesse big men. They're more stretch big men. You know, you're not going to necessarily isolation post up one of those two and have them back down a big body and do something. I mean, what do you see as uh, the group as a whole? What do you like about that group? I think I think I like the. Are you going to tell the them what Mister Kiel and Yeah, yeah I, I'll, I I'll thinking, back him down. Yeah, I'm face up, <laughs> face up off the glass, like Tim Duncan. <laughs> uh, you know, I. I <laughs> No, I think this is a good skill group. Yeah. I think that um, they can beat you in a couple of different ways, and that's that's fun. Like having having teams having to scramble each time that a different a guy comes in. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, he can shoot it. Hey, uh, he can pass it a little bit. Like, don't let him post you. Like, okay, you just said everything that any big man could do, basically. Exactly. Um, and then we got guys that can put it on the floor and go by as well, um, which is fun. So... I, I think it'll be an interesting group. I think that there is uh, their versatility brings us uh, different things that we can do offensively, like almost different packages as guys come in. Um, not that I mean each one can do a little bit of everything, but I think playing to guys' strengths is going to be an interesting thing to watch throughout the season, like how to how to maximize Toby, you know, shooting it, how to maximize. You know, Manny being able to roll guys into the post or Jacob uh, as a roller and yeah. Martine being able to go, go so by Some of they're a lot different that way. Some of them you want pick, popping on the pick, some of them you want rolling on, like things like that. Yeah, like, and, very versatile. And a couple of them can do both. Yeah. And that's that's really fun because that makes it really difficult to guard. Exactly. So, so I guess, you know, none of them probably are going to be easy to predict what they're doing. So defensively, when you have a versatile big man that can step outside or put pressure on the rim, what does that do to a defense? What does that do to that immediate side of the floor? Well, that makes you <clears> – <throat> what it really does is it, it forces you to have to start thinking. And when you when you have to think as a defense, your feet get slow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, is are we going to have to switch this? Are we going to have to switch this ball screen so that we can take away the, the shot? Well, if you switch and that guy rolls – and he starts to roll immediately, Misfit. you're either going to get a dunk or you're going to get a mismatch right there and yep. you can throw it into the post. Uh, if you assume that a guy's going to pop, or I'm sorry, if you assume that he's going to roll and he ends up popping and you don't switch it or you, you go ahead and you, you try and stay with that guard, and we have obviously some really good guards, mm-hmm. so teams are going to want to stay with them and not let them get downhill, now you have a wide open shot on an empty side. Mm-hmm. So... That really makes the defense think, and it makes it a difficult situation. That point of attack, having two very dangerous people 
at that point of attack on the ball screen is key, it's right? it's pivotal because if they can if they can rise up and shoot it and go by you and and do all that then it, it's that's why the pick and roll is what it is now in the game. So my segue into that is the uh, ball handler part of that. What did you think of the summer that you put four guys in that spot? Uh, Davion, Caleb, Tyler, Mitch, at times. <laughs> what did you think about their performance this summer as far as knowing that that position's up for grabs? Mm-hmm. Go grab it type of deal. I thought that each guy had strengths really? throughout the summer, and I think that, uh, you know, I think Caleb is doing a great job in terms of leadership. I think that he really worked, you know, this entire year to try and to try and make an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, Davion came through, and, and Davion has had some of the so some great testing numbers in terms of you know, his he strengths and stuff. Leaner, He's like, gotten a lot I, bigger. And I was just telling someone the other day, like, I don't see it. I was like, okay. <laughs> And he's had a great summer in terms of skill development, mm-hmm. you know, uh, working with Preston uh, and, and, and D-Rock and doing a lot of really good skill development stuff. Um, and then I think Tyler is, is just absolutely steady, and he's done a good job this summer of, of tr- trying to revamp, you know, all right, how do I help us even more? And so those three guys have really, really done a good job of just trying to all right, how do I get better about the each and every day? And Mitch, Mitch right now is a wing, but, you know, he... He throws that lob so beautifully, though. He does throw a beautiful lob. Isn't that, a, isn't that valuable? That is valuable. <laughs> I, I, Did you see him? You can't watch him in Summer League, but I know you saw him. Come on. I didn't watch he, like, him in Summer League. He had, like, a no-look pass into I, the corner. Like, he didn't even look. I didn't who, even see it. Who are these guys defending in all of this? Because I always hear about these crazy scores and... So-and-so went for 40. Right. I'm not telling you that Summer League is like, yeah. you know, you got the... like. How Avery, many would, I don't say Avery Bradley is at all five positions, but like, <laughs> there's... <laughs> How many is you Preston have going tr- for in this league? Oh, dang it. See, now you're going to hurt my argument. He'd, pro- I, he'd probably go for a lot. But <laughs> just because Preston is... So the 40-year-old yeah. dude, the, the, the assistant... Listen, old just man game 40. works every now and then. Okay. Your guys couldn't catch him for his birthday yesterday. He beat all of them. So, well, like, he, didn't, okay. he doesn't move like a 40-year-old. He's, he's not exactly, like... He, I'm sure he didn't at all, like, slam a door in somebody's face or anything like that. I mean, he had... I think he might have torn all the ligaments <laughs> in that one. He I've juked seen everybody. chase movies in, like... It, uh, and where guys are, like, throwing stuff behind them. <laughs> like, there's, like, a wet floor. He, he jumped over okay, and is, like... Right. Pulling down chairs. All right. But, I, okay, <laughs> he might get, like, but he's not doing what Kyrie did, for example. Like, you have to try to do that. I would that. hope not. Goodness gracious. He he's not. 40. See, all I'm saying is it was impressive stuff. Whether, you know. Okay. It, it makes for I, good Twitter, too. I, it's great, yeah. I'm it, makes sure, it, makes, great Twitter. it makes you guys' job easier. It, it sells everything I'm much easier. I'm all about easier. that. All right, that's fair. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he's obviously got instincts. Playmaking, yeah, absolutely. Playmaking instincts. So whether he's bringing the ball up or guarding the other one at the one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's got good instincts of playmaking, right? He he does have good instincts. He, he passes well. Um, you know, sometimes I I think I'd like for him to take more chances in terms of, like, pushing the ball. He just did yesterday, and you guys made him run. So, no, I don't know. What he, <laughs> see, that's the coach seat. That's where you trick people. Uh, he made one of those risky passes, like, through two defenders and 
The receiver okay, tripped up on it and was I, like, that's a terrible pass. Get back there and do it. A again. risky pass is like around one guy. It's not oh, like okay. through two Through guys. three people yeah. like a Bronco. That's fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, like you, like you were talking, he does have good instincts for making plays and things. Like he has yeah. a good feel for um, the things that are happening around him as far as yes. the movement goes, right? Yeah, he understands like where your guys are probably going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and as a passer, that's really important because – a lot of people can pass to a spot, but if you can anticipate what someone else, the other four guys are doing on the floor, then that makes you more valuable. Um, and that's something that he can do either from the, the point or the wing or wherever we play him. Is that similar to kind of what Grant was able to bring you guys a couple of years ago in that he was on the wing playing off the ball, but he had that same those same instincts of knowing where everybody should be, maybe one or two steps ahead of where the defense thinks they're yeah. going to be? Yeah, Grant had a... Still has an, an unbelievably high IQ and and could really tell you like all right this guy's starting to overplay I think my guy's gonna back cut and seeing that before it happens mm-hmm. and even as that guy starts to make a cut making his pass um, setting his guy up doing all the little things like that we'd like for Mitch to get to that point so Mitch is like a left-handed Rocky with Grant Gibbs instincts yeah oh my gosh you you and your labels. <laughs> We're going to get done with this podcast, and we're going to have Jordan on the wing, and we're going to have Raggy back in the... Kyrie's MJ. Oh, my gosh. Starting your point guard is Steve Nash. Hey, it's off-season. I can Uh, can overhype things. It's all right. Gets everybody excited. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on the season coming up here? Obviously, the non-conference isn't going to be easy. I know people might disagree with that, but, you know, just because the home schedule doesn't look good, but... You know, the, I know I, I, people don't even get like how good our home schedule is. I, hey, don't you don't have to tell me over. Like, come on, I I was watching. I saw you, know, you guys beat you. I I heard you guys beat you and Casey by seven last year while I was even there, and then you <laughs> waxed Wisconsin and all that. So yeah, well, wax Butler. So I mean, I watched like losing anybody. I'm watching Yale, and Yale's really good. Are they? they like Yale's got. Yeah. They bring back the preseason player of the year who came off an ACL last year. And then another guy who's at a Nike Skills Academy out in L.A. Really? Because he's a six seven, like three four tweener that can really score. It's Yale recruiting, like what? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I they were just like, can you play basketball and study at the same time? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's no. I I know I'm familiar with some of the guys that they've recruited over the last couple of years, and, and they're going to be really good. People are like, oh, well, you're playing Yale. Yale's going to be good. Yeah. Uh, and then you start looking at you know the rest of the rest of the schedule. It's it's a really good schedule. And I hope people appreciate it. What do you think about the Kansas City tournament? I mean, obviously you don't know who you're playing next, but you know who you're playing first. Mm -hmm. That's not going to be an easy one. So, I mean, you know, know, that school from L.A. really lacks all the talent. (laughs) It's rough out there. You you know know what? You want to talk about Summer League not being real. LeBron just went out and lost in one of their Summer Leagues. So, like, don't tell me that. Yeah, I'm glad I don't you brought do up Summer League. I'm glad you brought up I don't UCLA. Do, uh, Thanks this, for doing that. No, okay. for you, ba- I didn't bring you up backed, UCLA. You brought up UCLA. You backed yourself into that corner right there. <laughs> yeah, that's on you. You brought up UCLA. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I mean. I think they're going to be good. Yeah. You know, I think that they have they have a shot to be really good. They're going to have a lot of young talents. It's going to be tough to scout early in the season. Sure. Um, that's on you. It's, that's on me. Yeah. That's on me. Yeah, put all that video together. Yes. It's going to be interesting just trying to put personnel together and what guys do well and, you know, breaking down strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that because they're going to be so new. And uh, 
it, it'll be interesting to see what Am they I do. boring you? Is that, that, that little yawn there? That the no, it set? wasn't a yawn. Oh, it looked like it was almost a yawn. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> I don't more questions. Um, that should be that should be one heck of a back and forth fast paced game. Though. Yeah. Oh my goodness. If yes. people are looking for like scoring and running a lot, it's, it's one year too late in my opinion. Oh, but goodness. that would have been one ten to one fifteen something like that last year. <laughs> Would you? I mean, would you like? And if you guys had played hypothetically last year, would you even worried about a defensive scouting report? Or would you be like, just try to outscore them? <laughs> just, like, just, <laughs> what do you think we do here? Like, like no, like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you get that bucket. All right, we're not doing yeah. defense this week, guys. Trade twos for threes next five minutes. See what the score looks like after that. All right, we're good. Uh, Make them out, no, like, that's uh, not what we're doing. That's not what we do here. Sorry, I just thought you might get caught up in the numbers a little. We bit. might have like thrown five guys back defensively like we're not sending anyone to the board right and that would have no a bunch of people crazy even on defense get it back on offense i don't know that i've ever heard more people um complain about lack of offensive rebounding than i do now that no one offensive rebounds rebound anymore yeah, yeah it's crazy how it's like it's weird. not part of the game yeah the Warriors, they're just an awful offensive they're rebounding team. They're just an awful offensive rebounding That dynasty in the making. That's just, <laughs> just dreadful on the boards. They have no physicality. Um... For, from from a scouting standpoint, because you do a lot of it, mm. we'll say like 98% of it, and then That's, you hand it to No, him. I don't. He's responsible for all the intricate scouting reports right here, this guy. It's not, it's, don't listen to Everybody wants to blame Coach Mack. They're looking at the wrong Coach Mack for, right. for all the horrible <laughs> scouting, scouting report errors. Um, what's one, I guess, Big East team that when you watch on film just not scares you, but like, man, we have a lot to prepare for here. Like This year? Uh, I mean, personnel-wise, yeah. I, I'm not going to put you on the spot personnel-wise because you guys still have to learn that a little bit with right. the new teams. But, you know, just system-wise, when you watch a coach and implement his sets and things like that and the, the principles and stuff like that that we've talked about here today, what Big East school... When you have a team that, like, okay, i got a lot of work to do. Like, yeah. What's that team for you? The, the guy that I thought last year that did it, and, and his staff, him and his staff do a really good job, is Chris Holtman. Really? And I thought, over the last couple years, you start looking at personnel, and at the beginning of the year, people always look at, like, uh, I don't know how good their personnel is and stuff like that. And then you start looking at how they execute, mm-hmm. and you start looking at what they take advantage of. You know, like, nobody thought Andrew Travis was going to be really good. But Andrew Travis was really good at a couple things. You know, taking mismatches, starting to back him down making the right read, making the right pass. He started putting him in, in those situations. Mm-hmm. And so adding that with the number of sets that he had and the adjustments that him and his staff made, and he had an offensive and a defensive coordinator that did a really good job as well. They're very similar to us in a lot of things that they do, mm-hmm. and so their adjustments were really good down the stretch. And now people can say, oh, that's a team that you beat. Yeah, you beat them twice. Beat them twice. Yeah. But they're really difficult to prepare for because of how intricate they were, how detailed they were, and just how much he can get out of his guys there. Um, and I have no doubt that he'll do a good job with Ohio State, um, you know, at some point. So. I guess what's the, what's, the, what's the next thing you get to prepare for other than having a baby? What's uh, a... <laughs> What's filling up your days these these you know next couple of weeks before official practice begins and you start preparing for games? Uh, I think right now we're trying to nail down. Uh, Sorry, you know, s- <laughs> 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 I'm 
No, we started. We'll have that figured out in a week or so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're gonna have all that figured out, and we'll we'll put it out to the press here in a couple days. You know, right? No, I think uh, here in the next the next couple weeks we're gonna be doing at least in this office we're gonna be doing a lot of the pre scout stuff. Okay. Um, in terms of watching some of last year's footage, starting to guys that watch, are coming back and things like yeah, that. Yeah, guys that are coming back, okay. starting to get some tendency stuff, and then organizing uh, scouting report stuff. You know, we we do tend to try and get scouts on people um, from other schools and things like that, try and figure out all right, what do they do well. You know, what are what are people in their league doing to try and shut them down? Mm-hmm. Um, figuring that out. And then doing a, a lot of stuff with our guys, just trying to build those relationships with our players, making sure that there's there's trust there so that when in the middle of the year they don't know what we're talking about with something, they can come to us, come to me, and say, all right, I don't, I don't understand what this means. Or can you, go, can you go back over what we're supposed to be doing on this again? Um, they can do that, and they know that they can do that because they trust. That was good stuff. Yeah. Nice, nice debut on the yeah, podcast. Thanks. Well, yeah. we'll have to do more of my questions next time. More of your questions. Yeah. More were you grilled? Were you interviewing me? Yes, exactly. That'll probably be the worst podcast. We've I'm excited had. about it. Are you excited? Really? Yeah. See how many times you can stump me. <laughs> um, no, but uh, seriously, congratulations on the baby coming Thank up you. here. I hope everything comes out strong and healthy. Kobe yep. kicks your butt. <laughs> Just make sure nights hell and everything like that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's going to happen. That. I don't have to wish that on you. It's just going to happen. <laughs> no. Appreciate no, it. I appreciate you sitting down. I appreciate picking your brain a little bit. You know, a lot about the game, the intricacies of the game, not just, like, you know, personnel and game like that. So, <laughs> it's always a good conversation. Good luck on future fatherhood coming up here. Thanks for the time. Thank you. No problem.